with God every day. Every day. Every day. I will spend time with God. I will pray. I will pray. 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 I will pray. I will be holy. I will be holy. 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 I will be. I will be holy. I will fulfill God's purpose for me and my generation. My generation. My generation. I will fulfill God's purpose. God's purpose for my generation. For me and my generation. My generation. I will live the vow. Turn with me to First Peter chapter four. First Peter chapter four. Um, let me pray. Father, thank you for this group of people that love you. Thank you for each person that has moved here to contend in prayer, to go deep in your word. Father, we ask that you would help us over the years to come to be self-feeders. We pray that our hearts would be stimulated by the power of the Holy Spirit on a consistent basis. We ask that you would help us to be authentic and real and passionate for God in our generation. In the most comfortable culture in history, would you help us to live uncomfortable? In a, in a society that it's easy to live with ease, would you help us to be sacrificial in our pursuit of you? I pray for divine strength for each person here tonight to spend time with you, to marry a godly person, to marry the right person, to be uh, diligent in receiving the education necessary to fulfill what you've called them to do, for the strength to make the cross-cultural difficult decisions when it's necessary in time. Lord God, I ask, Lord God, for a divine strength for each one of these disciples and each one of these leaders that is in this house. Fill them, Lord God, with strength. Now open up your word to us, God. We want to know your word. We want it to be alive in us. Amen. In a matter of weeks, uh, we'll conclude here our official meetings that we, that we have together. And some of you will go home and uh, others of you will stay here. But no matter what, this little structure that we have here to be a blessing to you, this little structure that's created to help you is going to go away. It's not going to go away indefinitely, but it's going to go away for the summer. And for some of you, you it may be, this may be the, the end for you. For many of you, this is just the beginning of the beginning. And over the years to come, we're going through what I'm going to call the furnace reformation because we've, we're completing our, not like Martin Luther, but we're, 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 we're completing seven years and God's taking us into a new seven years, I believe. We're going into a new season and there's some things that... Um, Dan and I are working on that are going to cause this to be uh, far more aggressive in the next seven years. Um, we believe that the Lord has given us a divine grace for the past seven, but that it's not enough and that the furnace needs to turn up the heat. And so, um, and so it's gonna, there's going to be some new changes for those of you that come back in the fall. Uh, it's going to look a little bit different. Um, don't get too nervous and too scared. It will be, um, it will be for the good. Um, it will be exciting. Uh, I believe that we are uh, in it right now in need of turning up the amount of, the amount of prayer that we have. Um, we're going to increase the amount of opportunities that you're going to be able to be a part of a prayer meeting. We're going to increase the opportunity that you have to lead. And so I, want, I believe that one of the things we need is greater on-ramps to be leaders in this place. Now, right now, I know that there are uh, some, but it's, 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 it's a little bit difficult, a little bit nebulous to get on. And we're going to be... Um, creating more opportunities for each one of you to lead. And in saying that, I want to encourage you, this is not an internship. This is a community of people that are radical disciples and that look at each other and say, we'll take this vow. 
we're going to commit to live this vow in an uncommon way. And so this is a community of people. And I want to encourage you as a leader, by virtue of completing this first year, you are stepping into a role where you are now a carrier of this message. And I desire as many people as possible uh, approaching the throne of grace every night. I know that in my own journey, when I have more people praying with me, there's greater strength in me, but I also know that Jesus, you know, talks specifically about prayer a lot, and that there's some times where we see uh, it being vital and important to have as many people as possible praying. And I want to encourage you, I do believe we are better as more people pray. And, we, and, and unashamedly, we want that in terms of desperation, in terms of local churches across the country, but in addition, in this house. And it's our desire that we would have many. So as a leader, I want to encourage you to start praying and thinking about people that you can escort into this. I've had sometimes where accountability leaders became accountability leaders simply by brokering a deal with me. Where they came and said, I've got five guys I want to bring into the furnace under the condition that I can be their accountability leader. I said, brother, with that kind of boldness, I like it. Step up and let's go. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you that we need to build this house in terms of a house of prayer. And uh, there is no, there is, there is, I, I understand that people are in different journeys in God and that, that, well, the Lord told me to do the furnace or the Lord didn't tell me to do the furnace. And, and I have some grace for that. But this is about being a disciple and the very nature of what we do in terms of spending time with God, praying, choosing holiness, and being missional and intentional in our lifestyle. This is not something special for some special tribe of Christians. This is, this is Christianity. And so while I understand that we may not necessarily be the avenue for every individual, I do believe that we, you, me, need to try to encourage as many people as possible to partner with us in this pursuit. And so I want to encourage you to be praying and thinking about people that may need to join this house, to be a part of this tribe in the fall. Um, I know that as you leave here and you go, the, the success that this program will have on your life is not what you live like while you're here it is the way that you carry your heart before God and that you live over the next decade. That is how I define success. I know that 10 years from now, the culture will be different. I know that 10 years from now, you'll be old and dead, you know, like 30, like me, and on your way to the grave. Um, but I do believe that if we can lock in for, for these ideas for 10 years uh, you know, if you can be living these things 10 years from now, I know that they will be so in you, so a part of your lifestyle, it will help the next 40 years be successful. So we define success not by virtue of the fact that you fill out a card or attend a prayer meeting or submit to an accountability leader or go on a mission trip for a year. Success for us is that 10 years from now, you're a radical disciple. But the nature of that that. Uh, being the bar, it puts us in a dilemma. Because when you leave here, success will only come when you become self-governed, when you are a self-feeder, when you feed on the word on your own, when you govern yourself on your own. And you have every temptation to not do that. 
My desire is that when you walk out of here, you will be self-feeders, you'll be self-governors, that you'll be authentic disciples, authentic followers, and that you'll set up structures on your own. Renata and I, when we came here, there was no furnace structure. There was a desire within our heart as we sat at a Mimi's and we said, we want to live in such a way that, the, that prayer matters to us, that a devotional life is real. What possible structures can we put into our own lives? We have some, one of them is this furnace program. As you leave, there won't be the creative person that looks at you and says, hey, help, let me make you pray. Let me make you go on missions. Let me make you live sacrificially. Let me make you you know, do A, B, and C. You'll decide. And I, and I want to encourage you that as you step into that, the thing that our generation needs in this hour is authentic disciples. I don't know if you've been reading this book that just came out. It's pretty interesting. It's called Unchristian by Gabe Lyons and David Kinneman. It's very interesting material. It's basically a study on people our age, our generation, right now, 16 to 29-year-olds. 16 to 29-year-olds right now have a perception of Christianity not so mu- that's not so much positive. And, and realistically, that, this book doesn't scare me. I mean, I've been around long enough to know that there's often times that there's books that come out or different things that come out that say, well, you know, we got to change things, and that's good. We are always in the process of we got to change things, we got to get better. So I don't, I'm not presenting this material as a scary moment, but just interesting. The predominant view, according to this study, which is by Barna and his crew, is that most people our age, their perspective of Christianity is not so much defined by um, mercy deeds or authenticity or worship or prayer. Most of it is by being political. Uh, anti-homosexual is one of them. One of them that's in, in the top that's interesting to me is the word boring. The Christians are boring. And, and I think that as you and I look at how to transform that, I don't look at any strategy other than just this. Authentic disciples will change that imagery. Now, I'm not talking about starting or entre- an entrepreneurial kind of new adventure for God or doing a new thing, you know, starting some new creative church. I know that there's a major emphasis on new creative ways of doing church and some of those things, but I'll tell you this, what's needed for our generation is not another method that man creates to creatively connect with the culture. What's needed is men and women of God that are authentic disciples, passionate and consumed with love for a person. I am for new methods and creative methods, but it won't do the job. What will do the job, whether in old methods or new methods, is authentic disciples, is authentic radicals. First Peter chapter 4. Since Jesus went through everything you're going through, oh, I'm reading out of the message, that's why it sounds like, yo, Jesus, what up? Um, Since Jesus went through everything you're going through and more, learn to think like him. Think of your sufferings as a weaning from that old sinful habit of always expecting to get your own way. Then you'll be able to live out your days free to pursue. Interesting words. 
free to pursue what God wants instead of being tyrannized by what you want. Verse 3, you've already put in your time in the God-ignorant way of life, partying night after night, a drunken and profligate life. Now it's time to be done with it for good. Of course, your old friends don't understand why you don't, don't join in with the old gang anymore. But you don't have to give an account to them. They're the ones who will be called on the carpet and before God himself. I just think it's interesting when you read this list here by Peter of what godlessness looks like. It's an intriguing list. God-ignorant way of life, partying night after night, a drunken and profligate life. Profligate meaning um, immoral. Now, I just, I just want to look at this and look at our own lives here. I mean, because when you read this, immorality, drunkenness, and partying night after night. Let's just say it again. Immorality, drunkenness, partying night after night. Here we are, 20-something culture in America, and this reads to me just like a college campus in America. Partying, immorality, and drunkenness. Party night after night, drunkenness and immorality. I mean, when you just think about the culture that probably most of you will go back into. Now, I realize some of you are going to stick around here, and, but most of you that are around here, the nature of the way that the furnace was set up is that this wouldn't be a bubble, but that you would have the option and the potential to go be a part of whatever university you want to be a part of or work at whatever you know, place you want to work so that you can actually enter into the godless culture and be the light of Jesus. Most of you, when you go into that culture... We have this idea, we have this mentality that we're going to be the life and the light of Jesus. And I love that. And we look at these three things and and surely we look at these three things and we say, surely these are not us. Surely this is that big bad world out there. But I just, as I'm meditating on this, I want to ask this question. Is this really just the big bad world out there of ungodliness or does this exist within our ranks? I mean, at the core, if you look at the real problem here, the the real problem of partying night after night, drunkenness and immorality. I mean, we're the God squad. We're the radicals. We signed up. I mean, this is your year. You're going to be radical. But I look at this and I want to know, is not only this something that we think we're invading in the culture, but does this live within our tribe? And not only does it live within our tribe, It's easy to kind of put on our tribe and start to look at other people, but tonight I want to go ahead and just be real and say, does this live within you? There's a party spirit night after night. That's what Peter's saying here. This one version says carousing. Now we look at it and we go, oh man, that's nuts. That's crazy. That's godless. But if I'm honest with you, look at your own calendar. Look at your own temptation. Look at what exists and pervades even Christian culture in America. The temptation of the age right now is to put a little asterisk on this. Like, oh, if there's, you know, orgies, drunkenness, massive immorality, then it's godless. But I just want, I just think it's interesting in that God-ignorant way of life, partying night after night. 
Leaving God out and partying night after night. I'm telling you, that isn't something that's just in the world. I think that's in our midst. I think that's pretty common in collegiate Christian culture. Local churches across America and Christian college campuses across America and the Christian Bible study program at the university. When I graduated from high school, I went to a Christian college and I had loved my high school years. My high school years were awesome because I got to you know, connect with a band of radicals. We did prayer meetings every day and we were believing for God to change our high school. And it was, we went to a secular high school. And so uh, when I went to the Christian college, I graduated from public high school and went to go to a Christian college. And when I arrived there, I had the expectation like, all right, this is where we learn leadership. This is where we get the degree that's needed in order to invade culture. This is gonna be the time where we connect with other believers. And to my surprise, I arrived to a culture where we paid money to not have to go to chapel, where chapel, quote unquote, was the mandatory worship and teaching each day, or three out of the days, and people didn't want to go. And when you'd hang out with the fellows in the dorm, the common culture was to go to as little of church as possible, no voluntary prayer meetings or anything along those lines, no real voluntary Bible studies. It was mostly night after night of how stupid can we be? I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to be critical. I'm just being honest with you. It was mostly this culture. I'm talking about Christian kids, 19-year-olds. And it was how, how dumb. What, what prank can we pull? What movie can we watch? night after night and for the first couple weeks it was like hey we're making friends and I thought yeah I can do this for a while but before long I became so bored and I'll tell you this that kind of Christianity is boring that kind of Christianity possesses within it no power one of the things that God's called you to live and for me to live is a kind of Christianity that is not necessarily saying, hey, the world is bad, let me create this subculture Christianity. Where instead of adultery and orgies, you know, there's just constant flirting and dating different people. And instead of drunkenness, there's just constant pranking and acting as silly and dumb as we can be by drinking Red Bull, you know? Whatever the thing might be, instead of partying night after night in terms of immediate immorality, there's an ignorant of God, leaving God out, party spirit that just night after night says, let's just veg. Let's just chill. Let's just hang out. But David, that's a little strong. Well, when you look at what it means to be a Christ follower, when we look at what it means, if you remember that scripture we just read, it says, then you'll be able to live out your days free to pursue what God wants instead of being tyrannized by what you want. And really at the core of let's just hang out yet another night. Let's just, let's just veg 
yet another night. Let's just do Chili's, the movie, yet another night. Let's just all hang out, movie at so-and-so's house, all chill, hang out, yet another night. It's another way of saying, truthfully, we have the banner of Christ follower, but our hearts are so distant from God. We're bored with Jesus. He's a boring topic, and I prefer to get my mind on something else. rather hang rather just chill that is 168 hours in my week 40 hours you know of going to college and working I deserve X amount of time to just hang don't get me wrong I'm not against recreation I'm not against friendship building I'm against but I am against a spirit that is so lazy in God that we justify lethargy and call it fellowship. When under the banner of fellowship, we can get away with putting in our mind godless movies. And under the banner of fellowship, we can tolerate charismatic Christian slander. And God-ignorant partying night after night may exist in our midst I know it exists all over the place and I think if I were a college kid and I were looking at the Christian community I don't know that when I read these stats these don't surprise me because you know what bored Christians are boring people and when, when someone has given their life to Jesus and there's a 21-year-old on my campus and he's lovesick for God and he's, he, has, he has Jesus on his tongue because it's something real and alive to him and there's a study process where he loves the scriptures and where he studies the word and he mobilizes people to get together or he's a part of the prayer meeting or he's a part of, a part of you know, what, whatever the, the thing is because there's life in his heart. Well, that, that would move me. That would cause me to say, what is this thing about you that... That you love this man Jesus so much. But when there's someone that goes through the, the normal practices of just doing some good things and attending some good meetings. But realistically, the only difference in their life, I party night after night, you know, get drunk and do that kind of stuff. And what he does is, well, he hangs out and just watches movies and eats pizza. And, and, and the only difference is, is the amount of alcohol that I, that I, that I take in. And maybe, this, maybe the lost person is, is literally giving themselves to sexual immorality. And, and that person is only just, you know, thinking about it in their head and Jesus says that's guilty of adultery itself. So when we look at you and I being disciples in 2008 and you and I invading the 20-something culture, I'm just asking the question, what is it going to take? Because I'll tell you this, the party spirit that says subculture Christianity, you know, hey, we're going to still we're going to still live for ourselves. We're going to still live in the God-ignorant way of life. We're going to do our thing and we're just going to not do bad stuff. Has no power in it. It just has no life. I didn't make it at that school. I quit. I'm a college dropout. I quit. I mean, I went back to another one. But I was so irritated and, and, and frustrated because in my secular high school, there was more radicals. And when I say radicals, when I look at what Jesus would actually define as Christianity, I think 
radicals, we, what we call radicals, you know, Jesus says that's ordinary discipleship. But I'll tell you, as you go from here, you step on the, cam- the campus of University of Kansas or University of Oklahoma, or maybe you go to a Christian college somewhere, your temptation will be to be lulled asleep into subculture, sweet, nice college kid Christianity with no power. And the people that see you live that kind of spiritual disciplined life with no power, attending meetings and vegging on the weeknights and weekends, will not look at you and say, hey, I see the light of Jesus in you. I sure do want to be like you. They will look at you and they will pity you. Because they will see you living in a religious trap. And the truth is, is that what we see Jesus saying in Revelation 3 is he would probably confirm their thoughts. He says, lukewarm people he will spit out of his mouth. The reason why I believe the perception of Christianity is often that these people are bored is because so many really are. And there's only one person that can fascinate us and yet that's the one that we call a little bit too difficult to actually put our heart before God and a little extravagant to actually spend an evening with the Lord come on everybody's doing A, B, and C why not me you want to find great delight Just choose that you're going to be a resident alien. 1 Peter 2.11 That you really are just okay to be 1 Peter 1, a stranger in this land. How? How will we invade our culture? How? Authentic disciples. This tribe is committed to being authentic disciples. We fall so short. Well, I don't want I do want an ounce of spiritual elitism. But I do want to give it everything. And I do want to we do want to put the bar out there and say we're gonna aim for it. Though we fall short. We at least want to at least aim for something. First Corinthians eleven one, Paul says, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. You know what I desire for this tribe, the furnace? over the next years to come. That I can look at any high school kid at any conference or any tour event or any speaking engagement or any desperation band music gig across the nation and say, you want to be like Jesus? Follow them as they follow Christ. You want to live in your local church youth group where there's spiritual life? Let me tell you about the tribe that I'm a part of back home. That's what we want. Not for our glory. Not because we think there's anything special. But if there's ever going to be young people that have an example, this is the house that can create those leaders. This is the house that can create. And if I'm, if I'm a kid, 16 years old, 
I see a 20-year-old. He's really actually sexually pure. He's really actually fasting and praying. He loves social justice, and he loves missions, and he loves prayer. He loves God. That is so much more attractive to me than the other 20-year-old that loves drunkenness and immorality because that's all I've ever seen and my broken bent is towards that anyway someone that's willing to be on fire for God in a very tangible way that moves in our intro video we have this live the vow we set that out there at the beginning of this year saying we want to live the vow we're going we're gonna to commit to this just meditating on that idea living the vow God are we living the vow God you've called me to be the leader of this little tribe called the furnace in Colorado and are, are, let me just do a test are we living it and, and it was like I just flip flopped and went well what would be the opposite of the vow what would be what would it look like if we weren't what would the opposite of desperate pursuit look like? It looked like bored with God. It looked like avoiding spending time with God. It would look like content with the knowledge of God without knowing God. It'd be content with gaining some knowledge but not pressing for encounter and power. I don't know if it's a report card. I don't know how we're doing. I think we're doing well. The opposite of diligent prayer is pretty easy. Be lazy in prayer. And I think we've done well at setting up some structures. We've got some bands in place. But only we know the measure to which when we come in here that we push all the other things aside and we go, I want to be someone that stands in the gap and prays and believes and in faith I actually believe that these thoughts, words, prayers, and groans are establishing the kingdom of God on the earth. But the opposite of diligent prayer would be to be lazy and to become ignorant that that really is our greatest ammunition in transforming the world. opposite of consecrated heart it's just simple not set apart for God doing stuff for me what I want just give me a little bit of the world and I'll be alright with just a little bit of the world I can make it sure in a confession I'll say Jesus but in reality I need just a little bit of this immorality on the website just a little bit just to feed my small addiction that nobody knows about or just a little bit of gluttony when nobody else is looking or just a little bit of anger at the person that ticks me off yelling back at them after all I'm only human we want to just go ahead and put it out there God help us we want to be consecrated opposite of a focused life random living you know you're like, give me an example, all right? Here's how you know if you're not focused living. Wake up. It's about 10.30 a.m. Get out of bed. Catch the end of Wheel of Fortune. Or Price is Right. 
stumble to the fridge, find a little bit leftover of fourth meal from last night at 2 a.m., Taco Bell. You throw it in the microwave as breakfast. Watch a movie. Take a nap. Check your MySpace. Ask God for some more friends. You finally go to shower for dinner. You meet up with your friends at Chili's. Hang out. Go to the late night movie. Go back to Taco Bell for fourth meal. Start again the next day. I know that sounds extreme. Let me tell you something. You know what? The time that you have is so precious. It's so valuable. And I know there's a high critique that says, come on, man. What about relaxation? What about chilling, man? Doesn't God want us just to, you know, like rest, play? I think he does. But I would say our culture is one of the most unbalanced in history. You know, it's interesting if you read Exodus 20, Ten Commandments. Ooh, get all Charleston Heston on you. If you read the Ten Commandments, you know the one, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Look at verse 9. Exodus chapter 20, verse 9. This is interesting. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord. Now, just wait a minute. Just look at it. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. Let's just read that again. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. Let me, let me read that again for those of you that went to public school. Six, six days. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. Six, six, six. That's anti-American, I know. But on the seventh day, the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And on it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor your daughter, nor your manservants or maidservants, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So when you look at the God economy for the people of God, he says, six days you shall do your work, and the seventh is for worship and rest. So what the Lord says is, he goes, all right, five days you shall work, nine to five. Spend every evening watching King of Queens and Desperate Housewives. Spend your Saturdays golfing and spend your Sundays watching more sports and then be mad at the man for how hard you have to work. No, we as Americans, we go 168 hours in a week. I'm going to work 40, and I'm, mad. I'm trying to find a job where I don't have to work so much because I'm bitter about that because that puts me just in the rat race. Here's what I want you to catch. Your primary job, beyond whatever it is you are doing to make dollars as a disciple first, is to expand the kingdom of God. No doubt about it, whether you work at Starbucks, Subway, or Burger King, you work for them, and I'm all for that. But you know your loyalty lies to Jesus before whatever school or work job you do to pay the bills? 
And do you know that if there is that 168 hours a week, that one day off, that's a day of worship and rest? That, that day isn't just like the, you know, the, the, the day I explained a moment ago and I'm justified in that. No, it's a day of worship and rest. And so if there are six days that God says you shall work, I just want us to think about a focused life about what we can have the opportunity to accomplish when we think, not like our culture teaches us to think, but the way that the scriptures teach us to think. Not where our culture tells us that we ought to be mad that we have to work when the scriptures say we're always going to work. That's part, of, that's part of reality. Not where the culture says, hey, work hard so that you can, you know, make enough money so that you can retire early so that you can play. And as John Piper, you know, makes jokes about, you know, Pick up seashells on your boat. Or not on your boat, next to your boat. And where, you know, the scripture says, not, hey, I'm gonna try to work hard so I can, you know, retire early so that I can play. Psalm 17, I love the way David says, You got me when I was you got me when I was again, this is the message, yo Jesus, that was the version I had today. You got me when I was unformed youth, God, and taught me everything I know. Now I'm telling the world your wonders. I'll keep at it until I'm old and gray. Ah! That's the biblical perspective. I will be declaring the wonders of God to the next generation until I'm old and gray. As John Egan says, until my breath runs dry. Till the very end. I believe, friends, one of the greatest hindrances to you and I, knowing God and fulfilling our personal mandate is that we allow the American culture idea of veg, chill, and play to invade our Christian worldview and we justify lethargy and we justify laziness. And it pervades all of us. It's everywhere. And pastors think it's cool to connect with the people around those ideas because it shows that we're human. When God invites us to connect with the people about Jesus himself. I'm not trying to be critical or elite. I'm just saying this is our call. You are called. I am called. In this culture, we're going to attempt, we're going to pursue living this vow in authenticity, in sacrifice, and in reality. It's going to cost us something, and that's our glory. And my expectation, my thought, is that if people were to see you right here, worshiping God up and down, believing for miracles spending time with Jesus saving your money to go to Africa to help the poor or to jump on a bus to go help lethargic kids in the Bible Belt or up in Michigan where you have something worth living for an education that has purpose they wouldn't look at you and say Christians are bored my thought is that they would look at you and say tell me more And that's our mandate.
that's our call. The early church, it was hard to get in. It was easy to get out. That's how we want to be. Right now, church, we're trying to do so many things. We're trying to get people in. Give free food, free everything, just to get people to come. That's why, that's why the unchristian world is saying, we feel like a number. We feel like a, a notch in the evangelical belt. Friends, following Jesus is those who have left everything. The early church was the fellowship of the baptized. It was costly to get in. And they didn't beg you to stay. When you started going astray, you, can, you made that choice. Our desire is for this tribe to be a living, radical remnant. We don't have to do the church deal. You paid to be in this program. We don't have to do the deal where we're trying to be sweet and seeker. We'll just seek you first, the kingdom of God, and see what happens, man. I'm not, and, I, and again, I know I'm saying some things that are harsh tonight, but I believe God has called us to sacrifice, and the temptation of the age is to invent Christianity that doesn't demand sacrifice so that we can be comfortable and comfort is not what we're called to we're called to a person and every person that he's ever called ended up extremely uncomfortable you stand with me God, we want to live this vow. We don't want to live God-ignorant, partying night after night. We want to be consumed with God. We want you to be what's on our lips. We want to have an undying passion that invades the morning. In holy desperation, we want to be a people of fasting. In holy hunger, desire. We choose not to allow the party spirit of the age in our culture to invade this tribe. Instead of partying night after night, we want to pray night after night. Instead of giving in to immorality, we choose sexual purity. We make a covenant with our eyes that we will only behold good things. Jesus, help us, help us, help us. This is easy to preach and it's easy to talk about in our groups. It's easy to pray and it's so hard to live. We want to live consumed and fascinated with our hearts stimulated with the power and the, the Holy Spirit and the revelation of God. Come near to us tonight. Let the partying night after night not be in our midst. Our partying, Lord God, looks different than the world's partying. We don't want to party night after night and leave God out. We want to party night after night and God be the center of our conversation the reason why we gather is we get together and it's real fellowship around Jesus. Commune on you. 
talk about you and strategize, give revelation. When we walk away, we're not depleted, we're filled with life. We love you. Some young men here tonight. God's calling you to be a heralder of the gospel. He's calling you to live this and everything in your flesh hates this talk tonight. But he's calling you to herald it with your life to be a living demonstration of it for other young men to see. Father, I lift up these young men here tonight. God, I pray for young men that love God, hate sin, work hard, pray hard. Don't give in to the lust and the laziness of the day. God, we don't want to be... I pray for young men to come arise out of this place. God, we love you, Jesus. You've just heard one of the speakers from Desperation, a ministry of New Life Church in Colorado Springs. For more information on becoming a Desperation intern, attending one of our conferences, or joining the Desperation National Network for local churches, visit us at desperationonline.com.